Hi, I'm Brian Buckhalter, NCSM Awards Chairman, and welcome to Learning with Leaders. We're all math people. Thank you for joining me and my co-host, Katie Arrington, NCSM President-Elect, as we talk with bold leaders and influencers about their math journeys and contributions. Today, we will hear from our special guest about their inspiration, perceptions, and insights about instructional decisions that make mathematics welcoming and engaging to a broad audience. Listen and learn about how beliefs, practices, and policies must continue to advance to ensure that each and every person sees themselves as a capable and powerful mathematical thinker. Hello, listeners. I'm Katie Arrington. Welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders. Continuing our series, We're All Math People. Today's episode is a chat with two of our NCSM leaders, Dr. Paul Gray, current NCSM president, and Corey Bennett, current NCSM position paper editor. I'll tell you a little bit about them. Dr. Paul Gray is the Chief Curriculum Officer of Casenza and Associates, LLC, and is the current president. I say current because today as we're recording, he is president, but when this episode drops, he will have taken the prestigious role of past president. Uh, originally from Houston, Paul is a seventh generation discover Texan discovering his Massachusetts roots who currently lives in Dallas, Texas. This year is Paul's 29th year in public education, having taught mathematics and science to junior high school students in Oklahoma and high school to students in Texas and mathematics teaching methods to undergraduate and graduate students at the University of Houston. He has been a mathematics leader at the district and regional level, and he serves on the boards of directors for several professional organizations, including service as president of the Texas Council of Teachers of Mathematics from 2008 to 2010. He has also authored multiple print and digital instructional materials for K-12 mathematics. Paul holds a bachelor's degree in meter meteorology from the University of Oklahoma, a master's degree in mathematics education from the University of Houston, and a doctorate in curriculum and instruction from the University of Houston. And Dr. Corey Bennett is a professor of mathematics education and the chair of the Department of Teaching and Educational Studies at Idaho State University. His research centers on mathematical discourse, creating classroom cultures of reasoning, and developing mass leaders instructional practices. He works with educators and educational leaders, both locally and globally to advance understandings of the teaching and learning of mathematics and to support instructional leaders capacity to create effective systems for high quality student-centered learning. Wow, you guys, welcome to both of you. Thanks so much for being here. We are so excited to talk with you and learn more about NCSM's most recent position paper. Yay! The crowd was <laughs> crazy. Oh, um, Corey and Paul, again, thank y'all so much for joining us today. Um, listening to Katie talk about some of your current work that's going on, I'm just like, man, when do they sleep? <laughs> uh, you guys are definitely busy people. Um, although Katie gave us a little insight into your current work, share with our listeners, if you will, a little about your journeys in teaching that have led to your current contributions. So 
what brought me kind of to NCSM and the professional organization world in general is pretty much I joined professional organizations because people that I trusted told me to. When I was a baby teacher in Chickasha, Oklahoma, it was just part of our campus culture that you belonged to your professional organizations. I was explained that was just part of our responsibility to the field. And so that kind of set the tone. So when, when I taught in Oklahoma, I was a member of the Oklahoma Council of Teachers of Mathematics. And then when I moved back home to Texas, I did the same thing. I joined TCTM and NCTM because people that I trusted, trusted mentors, strongly advised me to. And then when I grew into a math leadership role, same thing with NCSM. That's what brought me. I'm pretty much, I tell the story. I joined NCSM because Lorraine told me to. She We, we had a booth at camp, our state math conference. And she caught me as I was going by and said, do you know NCSM? I said, no, I don't. So she said, you do need to, and bent my ear for a little bit, had me sign the form, and that was that. <laughs> and I'm really glad that she did, because that's how I learned that NCSM really can help me help my teachers. When, so when I was in a, whenever I'm in a leadership role working with teachers, I rely heavily on NCSM's resources to get my work done. Well, we are glad for that too, Lorraine, wherever you are. Thank you for introducing Paul. To yeah, thanks, Lorraine. And th that sounded awfully familiar, Paul, to like a personal situation I once had with a current or as of when you're listening to this past president doing the same to me. No trauma. No. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so grateful for the invitation. Corey, what about you? Um, give us a little insight into your background and your journeys in teaching that have kind of led you to where you are today. I started my teaching career off in Hawaii, and um, it was an absolutely wonderful opportunity, a great experience um, to really connect um, with kids and, and people in the communities. Um, you know, unlike the, the kids in the communities I grew up, you know, uh, myself, I guess, in some ways. And then a local, um, the, the next community over, there was a middle school that had just created a mathematics coaching position. And I've been in the classroom for about five years teaching. And for me, about every five years, I get this itch. Like I had to do something different. There's something new. I got to take on a new challenge. And like, it just starts to kind of slowly build and bubble within me. And, and so, you know, every five years or so, I'm looking for the new thing. And I don't know, maybe this was it. So I was like, well, you know, maybe it's time. So I applied for this mathematics coaching position and the school didn't really know what that position was supposed to do. Uh, you know, the department chair was really unsure what this role was. The teacher was like, I'm not sure who you are. You're new to our school. I'm not even sure what this role is. And, and so as I started to re-envision myself and think about who I was professionally, I had so many gaps. It was just like, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I went from this teacher who was really starting to figure things out and getting in a groove with teaching mathematics and feeling very confident, successful um, with what I was doing. I just completed my national board certification. And so I was like, I think I'm really starting to feel good about this. And all of a sudden it was like deer in the headlights, like I have no clue what I'm doing. And somehow, and I don't even remember the exact process, it was probably just searching around the internet for resources or things. I came across NCSM and it immediately kind of felt like that Disney moment where the light's shining on you and everything's just kind of coming together and the birds are singing. And it's like, I think I found my people. I think this is it, you know? And so from then on, it was, it was really um, about how, how can I grow within my leadership roles and how is NCSM going to help me kind of do that and, 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 and develop who I am as a, as a leader of mathematics as well. Awesome. I love the image of the birds singing and the lights. 
uh, behind you. <laughs> I don't know if that was real, but it sure felt that way. <laughs> I have been there. I know exactly what that feels like. And I love it. I love that that's what you felt like with NCSM. I feel like that's how I felt the first time I was in person at an NCSM conference. So I have a, I have a, that resonates with me strongly. Well, so you guys, I, I appreciate you being here so much as leaders in our organization um, of NCSM. You're here because we have kind of a special moment uh, for NCSM, and that's the release of a new position paper titled Supporting All Students Through Flexible Grouping Practices that was released at the conference um, in October, so just a couple of weeks ago. So why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about the purpose of position papers in general and what in particular we're seeking to accomplish with this one? Yeah, that's a great question, Katie. So I, I guess broadly speaking, NCSM's position papers are designed to provide our members and other leaders of mathematics. And this is at all levels, right? It's the, the classroom teacher, like Paul was talking about, who, who can help lead and guide a group of people to principals, to curriculum, like all, all different levels, right? It's really to help these people with um, support regarding critical actions that lead to improved student achievement in mathematics. Uh, so it's it's really trying to help kind of provide that direction and guidance and, and, and some things to think about for these math leaders at all levels, again, as they consider the things that they want to do and grow upon and change within their, their own kind of context and their own situation. You know, for this paper in particular, it, it really grew out of, of, of looking at this equitable approach to learning. And I really stress the word learning here um, because this is an important piece of it. You know, a lot of the, quite often when I go into schools and I work with principals or, or other teacher leaders, there's a focus on like teaching practices, like things we should do with teaching. And But when we shift this focus to learning, like how do we create these equitable learning experiences? It shifts how we look at structures and the things that are in place and things that we can do um, to better support students, regardless of where they're at um, in their learning of mathematics. Well, this paper in particular, with um, emphasizing flexible grouping strategies, is kind of a companion piece to our detracking position paper. Because a few years ago, NCSM staked out the position that tracking is a practice that harms children. And if we have a practice in our schools that we know harms children, we got to stop that. But it's not so simple as just throw everybody in the room and tell them good luck. They, teachers and math leaders, school leaders need some strategies for how to make that a successful learning environment. And I think this paper fits the bill for that charge. Yeah, agree. Agree times three. Nice. Um, so thinking about, you know, you mentioned if it's a practice out there that's, you know, not helping our students with harming them, which I think everyone who's in education has the intention of helping students, uh, you know, exactly. Um, so let's talk about something that maybe was like this unintentional harm, uh, or at some point. So thinking about the paper, main focus of the paper is utilizing these strengths based flexible grouping practices, right? Uh, give us some insight. What do these practices look like and how do they how do they differ from past more traditional approaches? And how do students benefit from these flexible grouping practices? Yeah, I mean, that's, again, a great question. So for starters, I would 
you know, encourage people to think about how a strengths-based approach considers what students are doing well in mathematics, um, what ideas that they have that are kind of leading towards these, these key concepts that we're looking at. So for example, if students are working on like fraction multiplication, or if in, um, let's say secondary grade students are interpreting key features of a function, then teachers might group students based off of the models that they're creating that kind of lead to different kinds of insights and not just necessarily like who's getting it and who's not getting it, but looking at how they have different ways of representing the mathematics that can lead and guide the conversation and kind of build towards this collective understanding. So considering what we can do and what we do well and how we approach it um, is a really important aspect of being able to put people together. And it's not always like, oh, they're all approaching it this way. They're all approaching it that way. But being able to take leverage and individual strengths that might be different from another person's perspective and pair them up together and to be able to think about how these two different strengths can then create something even greater collectively um, because they're working together and talking together and bringing these different perspectives. It's not just we're all like the bobbleheads. We all did the same thing. We're all got the same thing. We're, we're doing something different and we have a different way to approach it and think about it. Um, so recognizing how we can pair and companion these students in ways that leverage what they know and what they're thinking about and how that brings that collective understanding to the forefront is really important. Wow. Listen, Corey, I, I, I left my maracas. I've been celebrating like all week, just little things, big things. I left my maracas, but I got my bottle of vitamins. And so I got to shake you up on that one. You know, sometimes we look at the differences and we let that divide us more than bring us together. But here you talk about the leverage. I think that's a very powerful word. Uh, when we leverage our individual strengths together, you know, almost get like this uh, transformer vision of, you know, when all the pieces are put together, what do we become then? Uh, think I think of it's common practice sometimes too, to like, look at like what students are struggling with, like, because teachers have this innate, I mean, educators collectively, but teachers in particular, they have this like innate feeling of like, I want these people to succeed and they work so hard to help students have success. And so sometimes we go into things looking at where do they struggle as opposed to like, what is the evidence of learning? And it changes how we look at the classroom and it changes how we look at the mathematics when we focus on the evidence of learning and not just struggles. Pass the plate, that'll preach. Look, the strengths-based focus, I really appreciate because that reminds us to think, to view students in terms of the assets that they bring. And as math leaders, we need to view the teachers that we serve in terms of the strengths that they bring. In our more traditional approaches, like Corey was just saying, tend to focus on the deficits. We engage in a lot of deficit thinking. Our instinct is to look at what kids or teachers don't know and fix it and make them whole, like with because they've had different experiences that have caused them to learn different things, that there's somehow something defective with that, that we've got to bring them back up to standard or something. And classroom teachers do that with kids, and then math leaders tend to do that with teachers and other adults. And so this paper reminds us of the importance of maintaining an asset view of the teachers and students that we serve instead of looking at the deficits. And I like that about this. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Everybody brings so much to the table, and it's all going to be different. So accessing that, right, reaching it. 
and making sure that they know they have strengths, right? Sometimes when we're so focused on helping them build what they don't have, they just hear about what they don't have. <laughs> when, yeah. Yeah. when really there's so much there to 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 celebrate and to tell them about how great they're doing it really puts that at the forefront. Yeah, listening to Paul's uh, response there, you know, just made me think for a second, like how would I feel if I were viewed by everyone I encounter, by what I don't have or can't do or haven't been or, you know, that's not how I want anyone to look at me. So why am I, uh, you know, looking at others through those same lenses? Yeah. You know, the reality with mathematics too is like everyone's wrong almost all the time. And so, you know, be recognizing that it's hard work to do mathematics. And I'm not talking about calculating, I'm talking about doing mathematics, right? And so that's hard work and we're wrong a whole heck of a lot. And, but yet it's these insights and these little nuggets, these moments where, you know, we, we latch onto and we build from it. And, you know, even being able to help people recognize that that's a strength-based approach. Otherwise we'd all be sitting there looking at how bad we are instead of continuing to think about and be curious and question and move forward. You know, that's a strengths-based approach to doing mathematics. I love that. Be curious, move forward, think about all the great things that are happening, right? Awesome. All right, well, so uh, Corey and Paul, how can math leaders, and when we say math leaders, of course, we wanna be inclusive. We wanna say that we mean by leaders, we mean site-based leaders, school leaders, district leaders, teacher leaders from the classroom, coaches, district personnel. Um, how can these folks kind of leverage this um, new position paper about flexible grouping um, in the in the areas where they work, in the, in the classrooms or in the schools where they are? I think one of the first things that we can do is engage in a, in a study in a professional learning community setting of what this paper is. And one of the things I really like about this paper is how it lays out what do we mean by flexible grouping strategies? And it's just that they're flexible. A lot of the groups that we create in our schools tend to be permanent. They tend to be long-term. You get, you get it. It's like almost like a roach motel approach of grouping. You can check in, but you never check out. And that's probably a crude metaphor to use. But oh, oh. Does. <laughs> it, but I think you're wrong with it. Yeah. Right. I mean, a track system that has more permanent grouping, you have students that are cast into the high what we perceive as a high performance group. And you have some students that are cast into what we perceive as a lower performing group. And they receive access to totally different types of mathematics. Absolutely. Flexible grouping helps balance what what's going on so you've got kids that are put in situational groups where the, for a particular topic there may be four or five students that the teacher really needs to work with one-on-one -on -one. while everybody else gets it they can engage in skills practice or an enrichment activity but then the teacher works with the students that need it for that topic and then for the next topic it may be a different group of four or five kids that's the flexible nature of it you look at for what we're doing now, what do students know, and what's the best setting at this moment in time? And to develop that sense, that's where the professional learning comes in. So as school leaders, we need to make the space and the time to engage teachers in that professional learning. What are some models we can use? And teaching is a practical art. Sometimes you need to see it in action. 
So let's do class visits. So let's, I'll, as the teacher, come into my classroom. I'll try these flexible grouping strategies. Some of my colleagues can join us and observe, and then we can get together later to debrief what we saw. And then the next time I'll go into, say, Katie's classroom, we'll watch her do it, engage in discussion, and we're building that authentic professional learning community where we're all learning this together. Uh, uh, as soon as you get two kids in a classroom, you have to recognize that there's different perspectives and you have to start doing something different. So um, not all of these kids are, are, are achieving it the same way at the same time. And they, they, they will switch groups. Some will really struggle with certain concepts when in the unit before they were excelling amazingly. Um, and so they, they change based off of what's going on. And so to think about keeping these fixed or semi-permanent groups in place that's really a disservice um, to all students uh, as they are taking their bold attempt at learning mathematics and developing as, as, as doers of mathematics themselves too. So considering things like, you know, we talked before about being able to pair different kinds of strengths-based approaches together or even readiness. I mean, we're not always ready to take on something hard. Even the teacher might know like, hey, I know you can totally do it, but if we're not ready to do it, um, you know, then, our, our success in that is going to feel a little bit different. So recognizing where these opportunities are and not just putting a kid on a computer by themselves because, you know, someone thinks that that's going to be the best way to, to support them with what they're doing. It's, it's, as Paul said, it's about being flexible and looking at structure. And I think for principals too, I think one of the things that, you know, in school, like district level leaders in some ways, like well, one of the best problem solving strategies I've ever come across is just to play what if, you know, what if, you know, just imagine that you can be successful first and that it's going to happen. And then you start figuring out like, how do we redesign the structure? How do we start to play within the boundaries that we have um, and imagining that it's going to happen and then see how it plays out, right? Because there's there's gonna be a lot of challenges. There's gonna be a lot of hurdles. There's gonna be some policy things. There's gonna be some structural things that are difficult. But when you approach this and go, well, what if we could do it? What if, what if we could redesign this? What if we played differently in this sandbox? What would that look like? Mm -hmm. And bringing in the right people to do it. And pretty soon you're going to start recognizing that these challenges are really just solutions in hiding. Oh, wow. That's powerful. What if your what ifs come to pass? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's good there. I, I got caught up in the moment. Sorry. You know? <laughs> so you do, you've shared a lot, a lot of good knowledge with us, uh, a lot of things to really move our thinking forward in terms of how can we learn from each other and leverage from each other's strengths? Uh, how can we set up situations for our students to do the same? Uh, so I wanna ask you this, we'll give you uh, one more chance to, to drop all that encouragement on people. Uh, as we wrap up today, uh, we have to ask, since our podcast theme for this series is we are all math people, what would you offer to the person who would say, you know, math just isn't my thing. I am not a math person. Now, let me tell y'all, my former mother-in-law worked for the Internal Revenue Service. And I was a high school math teacher. So when we were at a party or someplace together and we told people what we did for a living, she got a warmer embrace than I did. <laughs> <laughs> It, I used to joke that one of my career goals was to be able to engage with other adults and nobody would profess how bad they are at math because we don't do that for reading. 
Nobody yeah. talks about how bad they are at reading. True. So my response that I usually give when somebody says, oh, I'm not good at math or I'm not a math person is you didn't have the right learning experiences. You didn't have the right teachers. Everybody can learn mathematics. There is no math gene. That's a scientists have mapped out the human genome. They did not find one that said math. Oh, I like that. I like that. I heard it said once that if you have a brain and use it, then you're a math person. Mm -hmm. And so that makes me, you know, think that uh, we uh, most people don't understand like what mathematics really is, what it means to do math or the role. And like, but in reality, you know, there, there, there's so many different ways to think about mathematics. It's a world language, right? I mean, it's a way to describe our physical world. Um, it's a highly creative intellectual activity. And one of the things I think about a lot is it's a it's a common thread in our humanity. Like we're talking like 6,000 years of human history of playing with number, shape, and space. And so if, you know, if, I guess if you're a person, then that also means you're a math person because it's in your DNA, right? There's no way, there's no way around that one. And, um, you know, sometimes it's just being curious about things and thinking about how we approach the world and have our own little what ifs from day to day and recognize that our ways of making sense of things are actually highly mathematical. They're just not visible. Um, there's a really, really good book. I would, I, I, I keep thinking about like this first chapter of this book called, um, Letters to a Young Mathematician. Have you guys ever read that one? Okay, no. so if you've ever read the book of letters, to, chapter one of Letters to a Young Mathematician, um, they talk about these stickers and things that are in there. But when you get to the rainbow part, oh my goodness, you're gonna, when you read the rainbow part, you're gonna realize why I choke up every time I see rainbows. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I smell a, a mini book study, maybe a follow-up or something on that, Corey. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things like when you start thinking about like the mathematics in the world, there's so much we don't recognize and we don't see and we don't, we're not aware of. And not that we have to know it all, but like, it's a part of who we are. It's a part of our world. And people always say like, oh, it's all the time. I, you know, it's just all around us. But like, when you see a rainbow, do you realize why it's mathematical and it's not just the shape? Like, it's pretty profound. Little things. Little things. It's the little things. You guys, I, I can't thank you enough for being on with us today before we leave um, remind us how our listeners can find the supporting all students through flexible grouping practices and other NCSM position papers and also tell us a little bit about how they can keep up with you and your work all of our position papers are housed on the NCSM website so that's www.mathedleadership.org and there's a tab that says leadership resources, mouse over that or tap on it. And there's a position papers link. And that'll take you to the page that archives all of our position papers. The ones that we, the, the newer ones, and then the ones that are joint position papers, we have several that we've collaborated with organizations like Todos or the Benjamin Banneker Association to produce. And so those are publicly accessible. But many of the older position papers are in the are a member benefit. So when you join NCSM, you get full access to the full library of position papers. And those are great tools that you can use with your colleagues back home at, at school or in your district. And especially when you are asked to provide insider advice for school board members or policymakers. 
or even your school leaders, your superintendent has an idea and you're like, I'm not sure about that. Let me see what the research says. And that's the benefit of the position papers. And if you want to find where to, how to reach us and how to contact us, um, again, I would direct people right by the same website, but look for the About tab, and you'll find a link down to the Board of Directors or at Contact NCSM, uh, and both, both of those ways will work to find us, or just come to the conference and sit and have a coffee with us and chat. I would highly recommend that, too. I like that. That's a great idea. We love that. We love that. Love it. Having some of the best conversations at a conference just in the hall hanging out and then somebody comes up and says, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Which Love my it. eyes get real Two big. It's like, okay. <laughs> let me hide my badge that says board member. <laughs> <laughs> we all know you, Paul. <laughs> it's too no easy to pick out of a lineup, especially when I start talking. <laughs> <laughs> we hear you before we see you. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, I do want to say a thank you to Corey and as always to my partner in crime, Brian. But I, I want to take a second to say a big thank you to Paul Gray. Um, I'm going to try and do this without getting emotional. <laughs> um, so we are in a position right now where we're making a transition of uh, the presidency from Paul's leadership um, to me stepping into the presidential role. And I just want to say since we have the opportunity here. Um, on behalf of the NCSM community, Paul, thank you so much for your leadership and your guidance and your humor <laughs> throughout your, your time uh, as president. Um, and then just a big thank you from me personally as well. Um, I consider you both a friend and a mentor and I couldn't have asked for a better partner um, to enter this position uh, in transition with. So. Thank you so much, Paul. And uh, we'll, we'll end on that note. Thank you so much for being here. Everybody go read the position paper. Uh, it's there for you and contact us if you have any questions. So thank you so much. We hope that you have been inspired by this bold mathematics leadership conversation and we'll tune into our podcast series each month. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. You can learn more about NCSM, Leadership in Mathematics Education, and our upcoming professional learning events on the NCSM website, mathedleadership.org. You can also follow NCSM on Twitter at mathedleaders and using the hashtag NCSMBold. Until next time.